We're going to be in Mark chapter 9. If you please join me there this morning, follow along as we read Mark chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's uh, one near you. So in, the, in the, one of the chairs in front of you, there should be a Bible close by. But please join me in Mark chapter 9. And of course, as I mentioned, the outline is found uh, in your bulletin, if that's helpful for you to follow along. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 29 this morning, Lord willing. 14 through 29. We've already read the first several verses, so I'm not going to begin there. We'll, get, we'll read the rest of the account. We kind of left on a, a bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, if, you were, if you were following along as we read and did the scripture reading, uh, at some point in the week, Pastor Eric asked me, are you, you're just preaching this because I'd given him the, the, the scripture reading for this morning and for the bulletin, and he was thinking that I was just, re, just preaching the first section here, and that, that would not really do, would it? Uh, nothing's been resolved at that point. I, I, I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to get through the whole thing, so hopefully we will. But um, as we look at Mark chapter 9 this morning, uh, I'm sure that many of you have heard this before, but Abraham Lincoln is famously quoted to have said that you cannot believe everything you read on the internet, right? Okay, you've all, man, that might, maybe that was news to some of you. Okay, good. Well, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. And um, in our world today, it's become increasingly, increasingly evident that not everyone can be trusted, right? Um, this shockingly includes news outlets, uh, the very people that we would assume would be the sources of truth or that we kind of rely on to give us the truth, um, news outlets, politicians, and, and, and sometimes even those that are uh, closer to us. And I've, in fact, I would say that as a culture, we've become increasingly skeptical of pretty much everything uh, to the point that our immediate response to almost anything that we see in the news or online, uh, even things that end up at the end of the day being true, very often our first response is, nah. No way. I don't, I don't think that's, that's probably not true. We, we, we have this almost built-in skepticism, this built-in doubt. We have almost by necessity become professional doubters. And, and while this may be helpful when it comes to whether you believe what the news media says or not, it is increasingly unhelpful when it comes to spiritual matters. And I fear that some of us have allowed that skepticism that has almost become needed and necessary to leak into spiritual matters and things that God says. Unfortunately, many of us struggle with doubt, even doubting God and His goodness at times. Have any of you ever doubted whether God was good? Have you, have you, do you ever struggle to feel like God is good? Here in our passage this morning, Jesus offers help for doubters. He offers peace to this faithless generation that he addresses here in Mark chapter 9. Let's pray together as we begin this morning. Our Father, we do ask that you would open your word by your spirit to us this morning, that you would guard my lips, that nothing that I say would be anything but what your word says, that I would not say anything you, have, you would not have for me to say this morning. God, give us understanding, give us challenge where challenge is needed, conviction where conviction is needed, and Lord, encouragement. 
as so many need encouragement. Encourage each of our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we read the first section of our text already this morning, but I'm going to read it again, where Jesus rebukes an unbelieving generation. We have a return from the mountaintop here in verses 14 through 16. If you'll recall, just before this, the passage right before this, this, this section in Mark chapter 9, is the transfiguration. And Jesus and the, the, quote, inner circle, as we refer to them, Peter, James, and John, have just returned from the transfiguration. They are coming down off the mountaintop. And, and when he came, verse 14, when he comes, that is Jesus, to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around him. Now, which disciples are we talking about here? Probably, most likely, we're talking about the other nine disciples, right? The other, the other nine disciples that have been left behind and have been without Jesus for at least some sort of time. Let's see how they've handled things while Jesus has been gone. He saw a great multitude around those nine disciples and scribes disputing with them. Immediately, there's Mark's key word, immediately. We find it all throughout the book, verse 15. When they saw him, Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeted him. So Jesus creates quite a stir as he comes, as he comes up upon these people, these disciples and the people that are arguing together about something. Verse 16, and he asks the scribes, what are you discussing with them. So we have this return, and again, they, this, the previous section, the transfiguration, uh, and, and, and I realize that this is not the, the, the point of the passage at all, okay, so just bear with me, but, but, but isn't it often the case that, okay, think about what Jesus and his inner cycle, the inner circle, these four men that have, they've just experienced a, an unbelievable experience. The transfiguration, Right? They, they have just come down from, from something that they, they, they will never, ever forget. A spiritual high. And what does he return to? And don't, don't we so often, we, this return from the mountaintop. Have you ever had this experience? Have you ever had the experience where after a week of uh, maybe vacation Bible school, we just had, were any of you tired last week? Any of you, any of you, approximately 100 people that it took for this vacation Bible school to happen and the Lord greatly blessed? Were any of you 100 people that, that were involved in that? Were you tired last week? I was tired. Did, did you have anything that happened last week that, that kind of felt like you were, you were com- kind of coming down off the mountaintop? You, you were coming down, and, and, and if you've ever had this experience where, where after a very, a, like a great spiritual victory, and then all of a sudden it's like, oof, man, we're not alone in that, okay? Um, I, I've almost gotten to the point where, where I expect for, for after a week of camp, I mean, I'm a youth pastor, so my, my stuff is camp and mission trips and VBS. And, and man, it's like I, I, I could show you in, in notes that I have, expect, expect spiritual warfare. Expect things in this coming week. It's not going to be, you, you think, okay, now I can relax. Expect difficulty. You're not alone in that if that's been your experience as well. Next, Mark describes, and we kind of get to the heart of the story here in verse 17. Then one of the crowd answered and said, we have a desperate father who comes and he says, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. This man has a problem. His son is sick. 
he's ill. Very, very ill. And he describes a, a very pitiful situation here. And this man, he says, I brought, the, I brought my son to your disciples, so I spoke to your disciples, verse 18, that they should cast it out, but they could not. The Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, Luke both include an account uh, of this same story. And each one includes a detail that I think is important for us. Matthew 17, verse 15. We're going to return to Matthew's account of this a couple times this morning. Lord, have mercy on my son, the man says, this desperate father. He says, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. And then in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 9, Luke tells us that he is my only, you see the last line there, look on my son, for he is my only child. He's my only son. And it's interesting to note how many of the miracles that Jesus performs in the book of Mark involve children. You think of all the people that existed in Galilee at this time, all the sick people, and there's no doubt that Jesus healed many, many that we don't even have an account of here in the Gospels. But of all the people that he healed, the accounts, so many that are included in the Gospels are children. Jesus says, we all know the verse, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Clearly, Jesus has, in particular, a care for children. And when you think about a child suffering with the disease, a demon possession, he's, as, as we just read in Matthew's account, an epileptic. Seizures. He couldn't speak. He couldn't hear. This young man struggled greatly, and he couldn't even describe the agony that he was in. And all this father could do was watch helplessly as for years, as we'll find out in a moment, this young man has suffered. No doubt many of you have watched as, as loved ones, even children, have suffered, and you know exactly what this man is feeling. You know exactly the desperation that this man had when he came to Jesus. He had already gone to the disciples, and for some unknown reason to them that they couldn't figure out, as we'll see in a moment, they, they, couldn't, they weren't able to do it. There was something about this young man, something about the demon that was possessing him, that was giving him these, these symptoms of, of this physical disease that they couldn't handle. Look at the end of verse 18. We, we already read it just a moment ago, but he says, I, I, I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cast it out. Verse 19, he answered him and said, Jesus now speaking, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus responds here to the faltering disciples or the doubting, almost, almost faithless disciples. This is the actual rebuke in this section. Jesus is rebuking an unbelieving generation. Jesus asks the question, how, how long am I supposed to keep dealing with you people? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe, some, maybe a coworker. How, how long am I, how long do I have to keep up putting, putting up with you or with you people, right? And Jesus, he, you, you sense this exasperation, like, guys, we, we've been over this. We, we know this. 
And, and whether Jesus, the question that might come to mind is is, is, is Jesus addressing the disciples or is he addressing all the people? Is he referring to the disciples as a faithless generation or is he referring to all the people at this time who had been so caught up in, in, in ungodly things and, and were not following the things that they knew to be true that probably resulted in demon possessions like this? But certainly he is referring to the disciples, very possibly also to the culture at large. But definitely the disciples knew better. We'll see in a moment that Jesus had, had already given the disciples the authority to, to cast out demons. And they had actually already been doing some of that already. So, so what was the problem here? Jesus seems quite exasperated with them. And, and it leaves the disciples questioning what in the world has gone wrong. They had failed. In the following verses, we're going to see Jesus rebuking the unclean spirit. And this is the actual miracle story that takes place. And, and we kind of left it hanging with the scripture reading this morning. But look with me in verse 20 as we find a seemingly hopeful, hopeless situation. Verse 20, then he brought him to him. Then, excuse me, they brought him to him. That is, they brought the young boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately, when the young boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. So we get the impression that this young man is, is not a boy. He's not, he's not a five-year-old. He's... he's He's been around for a while, and this has been happening for years. This man has spent his life, he says, often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He begs Jesus for help. The father, in answering Jesus' question of how long has this been going on, describes the, the pitiful plight of this young man. This, this, possess, this demon that possessed this young man had often attempted to kill the body within which it dwelt. Had often cast him into fire, into water. This, this father has spent years sleeping with one eye open. Years trying to protect his son. Years wondering hoping, praying for, for, for some relief from this boy who was possessed. And, and he comes to the disciples. They're not able to help him. And he says to Jesus, if there, if there is anything you can do, please help us. And it would seem that the man had come in faith to the disciples, but it's possible that his faith had been shaken a bit when the disciples were unable to cast out this demon. And his son's situation seems hopeless. This, this young man can't speak, he can't hear, he simply suffers, and his father watches helplessly. But in a seemingly hopeless situation, what does Jesus offer? You all know the blank that you have to fill in there. Jesus offers hope, right? Jesus offers hope. Look at verse 23. And we have this very interesting conversation that takes place between Jesus and this, this father. And Jesus says to him, 
if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I really like the ESV translation here, which I think is a more, it's a more literal translation of what Jesus says here in verse uh, 23. And it's almost like Jesus is, exp- ex- it's, it's an exclamation. Uh, he's responding. This, this father says in verse 22, if you can do anything, like Jesus, Lord, if, if there's something that you can do, if there's something that you, a way that you can help us, then please help us. And Jesus says, if you can, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Jesus says, if you can. That's, 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 it's a more literal translation of the, of the original there. If you can, almost as if, are, are, you, are you really doubting me? Absolutely, I can. Are you questioning whether or not I can? I mean, I certainly have the ability to do something about this. Jesus says, I'm God. I, I absolutely can do something about it. Now, whether or not he will remains to be seen, but he's, the, the Father is questioning even Jesus' own ability to do something about this. And he says, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And, I, and I, again, I think that this is really, this all things are possible to him who believes is a key statement in this entire text. He says a similar thing later in Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, and this is in the context of uh, Jesus' discussion about uh, the rich man and the fact that it is easier for a, a rich man, or uh, it's easier for the, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and you know, this, that's a passage that certainly has a lot, there's a lot you can discuss on that, but, but it's puzzled people for, for a really long time. But, but he says, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which literally is impossible, right? But, but, but then they respond and say, but then who, who can be saved? How, how could anyone be saved? I mean, if a camel cannot go through the eye of a needle. There's nothing easy about that at all. Then who can be saved? And this is Jesus' response. He says, with men it is impossible, but, but not with God. Because with God, all things are possible. How can Jesus say that all things are, are possible? Because nothing is impossible with God. God can do whatever he pleases. Now this verse, let's be clear here from the outset, that this verse is not promising that all things are guaranteed to the one who believes. I think all of our personal experience attests to that. All of us have, have prayed for things in faith believing, and yet those prayers have not been answered. Right? It's also pray, this is also given in the context of praying within the will of God. We, in prayer, we are submitting ourselves to his will. The verse isn't promising that all things are guaranteed. I don't think Jesus is saying that it's a promise that the one who believes will receive the answer in exactly the way he or she wants. But he is saying that there's nothing out of the question. He is saying that all things are possible with God. That we shouldn't question whether, as this man did, question whether, whether or not Jesus is even able or, or has the ability to do something. And I fear that we do this. We, we are, I think, if you're like me, you offer, um, you are, excuse me, you are very hesitant at times to ask God for the big stuff. We're afraid to ask God for the big things. We, we, we stop 
asking for the soul of that unsaved relative that we've been praying for for, for 20 years. So, well, the Lord hasn't answered my prayer yet. Or we stop asking God to heal someone whose, whose diagnosis seems hopeless. Why? Because we don't believe. Because we, as the disciples did and as this man did, we lack faith. We have the same problem as the people here. We demonstrate that lack of faith by fear, don't we? I love this man's response. Because it wasn't that the man didn't believe at all. There's a whole lot of, I mean, this, this, there's a lot in this passage that, that probably brings up some questions. And I'm not saying I'm going to answer all those questions here this morning. But, you know, somehow this man, he, he had some belief. He had some degree of faith. He says, I believe, but help, help the part of me that doesn't believe. He says, I, 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 I believe, but I'm still struggling. How often have you prayed that prayer? If you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you know your Bible and you've read this passage, this prayer just resonates, right? Lord, I believe, but, but help the part of me that doesn't believe. Help, help my unbelief. I believe, Lord, that you are good. I believe that you are kind. I believe that you are gracious. I believe that you are merciful. I believe that you want what's best for me. But I still doubt. And I still fear. I still worry. Help my unbelief. But it seems that the man did have enough faith because Jesus in the following verses offers healing. When he saw, verse 25, that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. He may have actually been dead. We don't really know. The, the passage doesn't really tell us whether or not he actually died and Jesus raised him, which is just as possible, right? I mean, let, Jesus could have done that if he wanted to. He's done it before. He'd do it again. No problem. Verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And that word there, in verse, those, the, 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 the verse there, 27, the same words that are used for actual raising from the dead. So whether this boy was actually dead or not, he was now alive. And he no longer had an unclean spirit. Jesus lifted him up and he arose. I, I find so much comfort in this because I, I, I often feel like I don't have enough faith. I'm sure you felt the same. But it would seem that the faith of the father was enough for his son to be healed. In the parallel passage in, in Matthew 17, excuse me, uh, yes, Matthew 17, and Jesus is explaining to his disciples what went wrong. He tells them, if you have faith, and you're, you're, you know where I'm going with this, right? If you have faith as a what? As a mustard seed. Tiny. Just a little bit. He says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So according to Jesus, it's not really a question of the quantity 
of your faith, or, or even the quality. It's a question of the object of your faith. Who or what is your faith in today? What are you trusting? I mean, we can, we can back this up and, and say, who, who are you believing in? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever does what? Goes to church, puts money in the plate, prays certain prayers? No. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Have, have you done that? Have you, have you believed in Christ? Have you trusted in him and him alone as the only way of salvation? I know for many of you, have, many of you, you have. Then the question is, okay, what, what are you believing for your everyday life? Who, who are you trusting in? When you wake up in the morning, who or what are you trusting in? Not for your salvation, okay? We've settled that. But if you're a believer here, you've trusted Christ and made that decision for yourself personally. You've trusted Christ. Okay, you're, that's good. But what, who, are you, who or what are you trusting in to get you through the day? He says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will move a mountain. It's not a question of quantity. It's a question of the object. If the object of your faith is a good, kind, loving God, then, then even a small amount of faith is enough. Provided your faith is in the God of the universe, you, you don't really need to ask if it's enough. You just make sure that it's on the right thing. The one, Jesus Christ, God. So Jesus has healed this young man, he leaves his, but, but this leaves the disciples rather confused. Because again, they, they, they were not able to remove this demon. Look at verse 28. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus says to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. And the earliest and best manuscripts eliminate and fasting. So I, I think it's best to just consider the lack of prayer on the part of the disciples as the cause for why they couldn't cast this demon out. Again, back in the parallel passage in Matthew 17, Jesus is even more direct with the disciples when he asked, as, uh, as, as he answers this question. He says, because of your unbelief. He says, because you didn't believe. Jesus had given the, the disciples authority over unclean spirits. Mark, back in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, he called the twelve to himself, began to send them out two by two, gave them power over the unclean spirits, and then they actually did it. They actually cast out unclean spirits, verse 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent. They cast out many demons. They, they've been doing this. They have experience. But, but somewhere along the way, they forgot where the power came from. And perhaps they started trusting in themselves. Perhaps, as we often do, they got to the point where like, oh yeah, hey. I, I mean, the first time I did this, I was so dependent on the Lord. I, I knew, Lord, I couldn't do this on my own. And so I trusted in Him. And, and I relied entirely on Him. But after I've done it a few times, yeah, I got this now. And we kind of get the impression that that's what has happened with the disciples. The demon, demon was not removed because you didn't pray in faith. Very quickly, there's a lot of ways that we can apply this passage. 
But before we close, I, I just like to offer a few thoughts by way of application. We've hit some of this along the way. And, and first, I'll just say that the application that, in a sense, I would love to give, but I can't, is that if, if you just have enough faith, right? If you just have enough faith, then that Jesus will heal any physical affliction you face. Just believe. As long as you believe, then God will just give you everything that you're asking for. But I think we all know from, from personal experience and from what we see in Scripture that, that that cannot be the case. I mean, consider for just a moment, I mentioned all the other people in the area of Galilee who, who suffered. And yes, surely Jesus healed many of them, but for, for every one person Jesus did, did heal, how many were there that he didn't? What we can say for sure, and, and what we've seen in the example of the disciples, is that unbelief not praying, is definitely not the way to go. If you're asking, why isn't God answering my, my prayers, ask yourself, am I asking in faith? Do I actually believe that God will answer my prayer? But even though I can't guarantee that if, if you believe God, that he can heal you, and, and that you're all, it's just going to be an automatic thing, I can guarantee you that Jesus has the authority to do it. He has the, we see in this passage, this we can say for certain, that, and it, this seems like such a simple thing, but, but, but bear, just bear with me. I, as I've been thinking and meditating on this, it's really struck me that, that Jesus clearly does have this authority, and, and, and I don't know that we think about that that much. It's really struck me that, that, that Jesus has the authority over our physical body, and that, that if, if he does have that authority, that means that nothing that happens to me or anyone that I love physically is a surprise to him. He has authority over it. He's in charge of it. And he, if he hasn't done something about it, that means that he, he has it that way on purpose. I hope that that offers you some comfort, knowing that whatever physical struggles you face, and I know there are many, that, that it's not an accident. Secondly, prayer demonstrates belief, so pray. They go hand in hand. These two things, I mean, again, in, 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 in this passage, Jesus says, this kind comes out only by prayer. In the parallel passage, Jesus says, it was because of your unbelief. They, they go together. If, if you pray, if you believe, you will pray. If you believe that God can do something about your problem, then you will pray and ask him to do something about your problem. You know, if we adults could just recall the, the simple faith that we had. I mean, do you, do you remember as a child, if you, if you were a, a believer as a child, do you remember how easy it was to believe? How easy it was to, to just pray? Uh, a, few, a few nights ago, one of our kids was, was under the weather, Asher, and so um, as we went to bed, we said, okay, hey, we're going we're gonna to pray, and we're going to ask that, that God, and he, he, was, he was pretty sick. Um, he was not feeling, he was down for a couple days, and so, um, and, and, and as we went to bed, it was um, Miles' turn to pray, and we said, okay, we're going we're gonna to pray for Asher, that he would feel better, and um, next morning, he woke up, and he was, he was better. He wasn't quite there, but he was definitely better. But, but one of the very first things out of his mouth was, Dad, 
I think, I think it was because, because of the prayer. And, and it's like, man, man, I, I, if he hadn't said that, I don't, I don't even know if I would have thought of that. I mean, that, that, that childlike faith, just believing that God can and, 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 and will do something about my problem. That he's actually hearing me. And that's, that's the last one. That, that God hears and answers prayer. Pastor Fant used to say this all the time. We, we, are, we are praying right now. He would say this when we're, we're praying as a, as a staff. We, we pray to a God who hears and answers prayer. We're, we're, we're not doing this just because, of, you know, it's just what we do. It's, it's, not, it's not just so that we can hear ourselves. We are praying to a God who hears and answers prayer. We're not praying to an empty void. We are praying to the God of heaven who created us. Who actually has the ability and the power. With God, all things are possible. That he has the ability to answer our prayer and to do something about our problem. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. God wouldn't tell us to pray if it didn't work. And when he doesn't answer the way that we would like, because the the nagging question in the back of all of our minds is, hey, that's great. You know, it's great for this man. It's great for this boy. He was healed. He got to live the rest of his life. But, But what about the ones that don't get answered the way that I would like? What about those prayers? And you all know where I'm going. Romans 8. We read just after this, this morning, where, where Paul talks about the, the inability for us to separate ourselves from the love of God. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And, and lest we just throw that out there as a, hey, I mean, don't, it's all good. It all works together for good. What is the good? Okay, because we all know that it's not all good. We know that, right? There's, there's times where it's not good in our mind. But, but he, he, he leaves no doubt as to what the good is because he follows that right in verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. To become more like Christ. And, and so when it's not good in our way of thinking... And and, and all of us can think of circumstances in our lives right now that are not good. But the the promise that we have for us as believers here is that if if it's not good in our thinking, it is good in His. And it's being used to make us more like His Son. That's that's the good. I, I hope that for most of you this message is an encouragement. That we serve a God who hears and answers prayer. That, that he has the authority and the power that with, nothing, that with God nothing is impossible. Some of you may need to submit your, your physical well-being to God. Some of you may need to submit that physical trial that you're enduring to our Savior. Some of you may need to make a renewed commitment to pray, believing that God will answer with your best interest at heart. Some of you may simply need to cry out to God in the same way this father did and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's pray together. Father, we, we do believe.
But we pray that you would help our unbelief. Pray that you would help us in our, our fear, our worry, our anxiety. God, I pray that we would be people of faith that believe that with you, nothing is impossible. I pray that we would be constantly depending on you, demonstrating our dependence on you in prayer, in a prayer of faith. God, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.